Welcome to Composers in a Jukebox, a podcast that brings together a special breed of musicians in a conversation about their craft. Today we meet with Brian Waters, the founder of QTube, a creative community and educational resource for film composers and sound designers. Hello, Brian. Welcome. 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 Hi. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Whereabouts are you, Brian? So I'm based up in Carlisle, up in the north. Um, oh. I, ge- I guess that your your audience is possibly international, so it's it's very close to Scotland, basically. Even even people in England don't know where Carlisle is, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And it's funny we should be having this conversation because today we're with Brian Water, uh, Brian Waters from QTube, um, <laughs> which is uh, a sort of online community for film composers and sound designers as well. Um, and and just to kind of test my knowledge of what QTube is all about and, and what they have to offer. Uh, Brian, you may have to kind of give me ticks as we go along for this. It's a community or, or rather a platform in which composers, usually kind of young budding composers can go to to find things like clips of which they can use for rescore practice. Uh, QTube also organizes competitions such as uh, score relief that happens almost every year um, of which, you know, composers would score, rescore um, a clip from the QTube and eventually the winners would get the opportunity to record their music with a live orchestra and that's a northern film orchestra great great description (laughs) (laughs) thank you um so brian could you take us back to where you first started qtube and could you tell us the vision um so the 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 qtube started during the pandemic and um at the time i was living in another country and um like everybody, uh, when the lockdown came along, I had a lot of time on my hands and um, I'd always dabbled with making music and it was most just as a hobby. And um, it was mostly songwriting, but I decided I was quite curious as to whether my creativity, if you like, would would be better served trying to write music rather than songs, if you know what I mean. And I was quite attracted to the idea of doing sort of media composition, but I didn't know much about it. So I started watching a lot of YouTube channels by people like Christian Hansen and Guy Mitchell Moore and Rick Beato does a little bit of stuff about film as well. And, um, and start and, and really started to use the time that I had to educate myself. I even started to learn some music theory for the first time. Um, and I was really getting into it. And then Spitfire launched the Westworld competition, which has gone down in history. And, um, and um, I decided to take part. I, I was like, "Why not? It's free, you know." Oh, you d- Ooh. yeah. <laughs> I, I just thought it was a really great opportunity to sort of like, you know, practice with a great clip, basically. And so I did my little thing, which was terrible, of course. But but it, but that's not the point. Yeah, the point is to take part and learn something from the experience, and um, and also learn something from all of the other people taking part. I think that's the great thing about these things. And um, like everybody, I was really surprised by how many people took part. I mean, there were about 11,000 entries for that competition and I was just blown away by that. And I started listening to some of, listening to some of the other work and I was really blown away by that. And I was really impressed with the supportive nature of this kind of community. 
And then, of course, when the winner was announced, <laughs> all hell broke loose and the community started to sort of like fragment a little bit. And I was also quite surprised by that. But that wasn't really a factor in my in my decision. But what was really a factor was the realization of the size of the community, the kind of supportive nature of the community up until the moment of announcing the winner. And also the fact that it became clear how, um, you know, what a great appetite there was for having this kind of material for, for rescoring and how difficult it was to get it. And I sort of put two and two together and came up with five and uh, decided it can't be that hard to, to, to find uh, clips, you know, for people to rescore. And I naively embarked on this um, project thinking it'll be easy to just set this up and run it. <laughs> and um, yeah, that was it. So I, I, I set up a WordPress page and I, uh, Christian Henson um, was doing a thing at the time called, um, what was it called? Something like Friday, what was it called? Something like geeking on a Friday. I can't remember what it was called now. Nerding on a Friday or something like that. Yeah. And um, he was just sharing different bits and bobs that people were doing. And I sent him an email with a link to this crappy WordPress page that I'd set up announcing the idea, announcing the YouTube effectively. And, and I was sitting there in Ukraine, actually, eating my dinner, watching his nerding for the weekend. That's what it was called. Watching it. And I hadn't heard anything back from him. So I assumed that he didn't... Um, that he didn't want to share it or that I'd sent it in too late. And it was the final episode of this nerding for the weekend as well. And I was like really gutted, but I was sitting there eating my dinner <laughs> and suddenly I appeared on screen and I almost like spat my dinner all over the table, you know, the shock, the surprise. Um, and, and he gave me a few minutes of his, um, cause I sent him a video explaining the idea of the YouTube and he actually shared it on his channel. And as soon as he shared it, Literally, as soon as he shared it, I started getting notifications on my phone that people were signing up, you know, on this WordPress page. And I was like, excited, but also like, bloody hell, I've got to do this now. <laughs> That's, um, yeah, it's a very sweet, but slightly sneaky thing of him to share your video without emailing back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was really, um, it was really the catalyst. If he, if he hadn't shared it, the, the sort of initial momentum would have been way slower, much slower. It, it was an immediate impact. You know, we immediately had people signing up. And so I decided to start it, not very original idea. I decided to start it with a scoring competition. And we, we had, um, which was free to enter. So the idea initially was to just grow the community as much as I could, as quickly as I could, really. And we, we, we launched a scoring competition with this Kamenandes, like cute animation from Blender. And it, it went quite well. We got like 200 entries and, um, you know, it, it, it was a really good start. But while, it, while the competition was running, I was frantically trying to find other clips to build up a library. And it was really, really difficult. And I began to understand why nobody had done this before, because it was extremely difficult to find clips. But slowly, step by step, I managed to find clips. Um, and then and then we had a go at making our own clip, which was the ocean clip, the very first ocean clip that we did, which we made ourselves, which when I look at it now, I'm a little bit embarrassed about it. But, you know, 
it was our first attempt at making a clip and um yeah i believe luke had scored that before haven't you or was it a different one yeah no i did that for my uh graduate showcase at the rcm i did right. that on the live orchestra and stuff cool wow so it actually went down quite well this ocean clip so it gave us a little bit of confidence that we could not only try to find clips but we could start to make our own clips and then I had the crazy idea. We were still very new. I had the crazy idea of doing a score relief, you know, where some where the prize would be to get your music performed by the orchestra and it would be done in parallel with a charity fundraiser. And I spoke to Jack. I mean, we'd never we'd never had any contact from Jack from NFO. We he didn't know who I was, you know. We were we were microscopic, you know, the the, the Q had no profile at all. And he was receptive to it because the NFO was quite new at the time as well. So he could see that it was a bit of an opportunity as well. And we decided to do it and we started, it was an absolutely manic period putting the first score relief together, trying to find judges and prizes and set everything up. But we just about got away with it. Um, and it was really successful. Like we got huge participation. Uh, it was so huge actually that my cheapo, web hosting actually crashed because there were so many people submitting entries. So that was, it was like good. And it was terrible at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Um, but we managed to kind of get it over the line and, and it was a fantastic experience. And, um, when we did the first performance with the NFO, you know, of the, of the winning entry, it was a guy from Turkey who was actually studying in America. Dennis Chan and a beautiful score for the spring animation by Blender. And um, <clears throat> I was still in Ukraine. Dennis was still in America. It was really still the end of lockdown, you know, so there was the, the orchestra was very small. Um, there were a lot of limitations. Everything was done re kind of remotely, um, but it was brilliant. You know, it was a great, it was a great success really. So yeah, that's a quick, history of the first sort of like you know genesis and also the first kind of five months or so of the qtube i i really i really would like the qtube to be you know a great place for networking a, a great place for learning but also i would really love it to be a bridge between filmmakers and composers because it seems to me that those two worlds, surprisingly, don't really cross over too much until there's actually a specific project. Like the educational journey is often completely separate and and even the professional journey really is quite separate. And I would like the QTube to be really, what I mean by that is the place where filmmakers and also, you know, game developers ultimately as well, know that they can come to find amazing composers. And so from the composer perspective, I would like them to see it as the place where they can learn and develop, but also actually find work. And that's really the vision of it ultimately. Right. And um, do you, do you feel that the film or the film music community rather um, has changed since you um, started the YouTube? Is there anything you, uh, you noticed? Um, and if so, how? Um, yeah, it's a really good and unexpected question. Um, I mean, the 
the main thing that I've noticed, I think, is because we were born during the pandemic and people were quite isolated. <laughs> and um, so they were they were really excited about the idea of community. Um, and I'm not sure. Now everybody's back to kind of normal to some extent. And and by the way, our, I think that our kind of demographic of our community is split very broadly into two groups. I think you've got the students, the young, like you said in the intro, the kind of young up and coming guys. And then you've got people who are closer to my age who've always made music, but it's always been a bit of a hobby. They've been busy earning money to pay for the mortgage and pay for the kids' education. But now the kids have grown up, they've left home. And these guys and girls, they've got time on their hands. They've got all the equipment. They've got the money to spend on software libraries and stuff. And they're thinking, right, I'm going to actually try and develop properly with this instead of treating it as, as a hobby. And I think those are the two broad demographics. And I think for the second group, you know, they're back to normal. They're back to work. They're back to their day jobs. And they possibly don't have quite so much time on their hands as they did when we launched. Uh, for the first group, no. <laughs> I'm, not really conscious. I'm, not, I'm not really aware of any significant change. You know, because the, the student group, the student pool is continually being replenished, yeah? So I think that... I've not noticed any particular change there. You know, the main the main difference from our point of view is that we have a profile now. People are aware of us. People are spreading the word. And actually, funnily enough, students are actually telling their kind of professors about the QTube rather than the other way around. Can I add something onto this? So uh, I think I spoke to you about this, Ryan. I think it was... Um a year ago that I said like uh, the QTube really helped um, when I was studying or like trying to apply for RCM trying to look for uh, clips because the most difficult thing is to look for clips that I can use and not just download from YouTube or just use it without permission to use it because every time we do a showcase our professors will ask do you have permission to use the clip if not we will not showcase your music which you have spent literally the whole semester writing so it's really gut-wrenching after being told like oh we won't be playing your music unless you don't play the clip at all which was terrible <laughs> i think the same in the uk really i mean we get a lot of contact from american students british students and european students and um it's great to hear that you know because that's that's what we're trying that's the problem that we're trying to solve if you like um so it's great to hear that yeah yeah i think i think in general it's it's the household name for that now because you only have to look into well, any any film music group on, on on the internet, really. And if somebody asks, where can I find clips? The, the YouTube is the first thing that, that comes up. So. Great. Cool. <laughs> That's great. And it would be great if we could achieve the same with filmmakers where they immediately think of the YouTube when they need a composer. That, that would be the next step, really. Yeah, definitely. Right. I think just kind of going back to what you said, Brian, I thought it was really interesting. And this was something that I never thought about because um, I 
belong to the group of um, younger budding <laughs> composer who's trying to do this as a profession. Um, but what you mentioned about you know the community of slightly more mature um, people who have day jobs in other fields doing you know writing film music as a hobby doing it as a means to you know express and respond to a clip in the same way or in a slightly more active way than you would just watching a film in a cinema um that to me was really interesting and you know i never really thought of film music as a well film music as a hobby but it does make a lot of sense because you know music making and it you know the same for instrumental playing um, it can be a hobby as well as it could be a profession. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of these guys, they're, they're fairly serious about it. They don't just treat it as something to do, you know, in their free time. It's It's been a dream, you know, that they had to put to one side because they needed regular income to support a family and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if you look at the products that are out there for composers like software, you know, instrument libraries, a lot of them are quite pricey. And I think for students, they're pro I don't know, but I would imagine that a lot of libraries are out of reach financially for students. And um, I don't know whether these companies do special packages for students. I actually don't know, know that. But, um, you know, to really afford a decent set of libraries and hardware as well, you need some kind of money behind you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely. definitely but i mean i think the i think the community on a whole um like you know not just filmmakers but suppliers and you know sample library companies as well they have been very well you know they, they have been really generous um and really open especially towards students and i do appreciate that like coming from the classical world and you know going to film I personally do feel the difference, um, how it's, it's, things are much more open. Things are, you know, people share ideas, people share resources a lot more um, within the film community than they do in the classical community. Um, so yeah, that, that I definitely appreciate. Um, I mean, it's interesting, I, yeah. It's interesting to look at the profile of the people that have won our different competitions. I mean, so the first scoring competition that we won, that we, um, created when we launched the YouTube was won by a British guy who was more in the second category. Yeah. He, he had a day job. Um, and then, um, we did a Halloween one just for fun. And that was one, I think also by someone who was a little bit older, you know, not a student in other words. And then score relief was won by a student. And I think the runners up were, were mostly quite young as well. And then the second score relief was also won by a really young guy from um, Ger Germany, I think. And the runner up was a young guy from Poland. <laughs> and um, and uh, we recently made a film which was kick kickstart funded, you know, by the community. And uh, we put out a kind of opportunity for the community to become the composer for the film. And that was also won in inverted commas by a young uh, composer from um, Finland. So, yeah, that's quite interesting. It's not been like a deliberate decision by us to kind of choose young composers, but it's predominantly been young composers that have won the opportunities that we've put out there so far. Yeah, great. Well, that's a perfect segue into our next question, which is 
about what inspired you specifically to create a film as opposed to licensing other films from mm -hmm. other uh, filmmakers and things. Why did you think it was important for it to come from the people involved in the YouTube and what kind of different things do you think that would give a film composing community? Okay, yeah, great. Um, <clears throat> I felt that, you know, when, you, when you're relying, so before we made the film, the content of our library was um, all third party, apart from some stuff that we'd made using stock video, I think, honestly, has been really quite good, especially recently. I mean, the football one actually is an example, but, um, you know, I think we did one called Goodbye Brother, and I think people were really blown away by that one about boxing, and, and, and the Penguins one that we, we did, some nature documentary stuff. So we're getting quite good at that, but you know, to have a full, a kind of a full film with a full narrative arc and for it to be live action instead of animation. Um, and also the idea that it was designed for composers. So we had some criteria for the writers and directors, which were specifically that there should be a narrative journey so that the composers have got some different um, kind of storytelling to do, you know, with the music. And also there should be dialogue because I think it's really important for composers to have experience and skills at supporting dialogue and knowing when to be silent and stuff like that. And, you know, it should have a beginning, a middle and an end and all that kind of stuff. And I also wanted it to have um, a range of emo an emotional range and and luckily they did a great job and we've got some comedy in there we've got some sort of tragedy a little bit in there some drama in the shorter clips that we've done so far is quite difficult to get that into a short clip but also of course you know it makes the youtube more compelling more more unique more attractive so that was another reason. And I felt that the composer community that we have, which is quite sizable, by the way, now, would be excited about being part of a filmmaking project. I thought they, they would be really excited, and, and they were. And finally, <laughs> the, the final reason, I think, why I wanted to make it was, well, actually, maybe this is two reasons. One, one was to understand myself a bit more about what goes into making a film because I felt that in order to be able to take the YouTube in the direction that I wanted to take it, which I described earlier, I felt that I needed to know not only about music, but also to know about filmmaking, to be able to speak to filmmakers with some kind of credibility, you know, some kind of common language, but also to make, to open doors in the filmmaking world and make us a bit more visible in the filmmaking world and say, look, we made this, you know, this is cool. Um, you know, let's have a conversation. And I think that it will help us to do that. I think it really will help us to open doors, um, especially as we were very lucky to get great actors, great location, you know, really professionally shot. You know, the cinematography is, is superb. Um, shout out to Jamie on the cinematography. And... Um, Yes, it's quite complex, it, you know, quite a number of different reasons that went into it, really. Yeah, completely. Okay. Yeah. Great.
Absolutely. I mean, I think it was beautiful what you said about um, kind of learning more about the practice of filmmaking um, through through this project. And that actually kind of segues into our next question really nicely, which is what was your most significant discovery about the practice of filmmaking through your experience producing this original film? Wow. Um, the, whole, <laughs> the, whole, the, whole, the whole journey was a massive learning curve because I've never been involved in a film, in making a film before. Um, so as a producer, I learned a hell of a lot about the role of a producer, but I also learned about what the different people in the team actually do, you know, because like for me, as somebody who's never been involved in the filmmaking industry before, when you look at the credits at the end of a film, you don't really understand like, who are all these people? Like, what do they do? Why do they need so many people? Um, and now I have a little bit of insight. I mean, it was a tiny project, of course, and a fairly tiny crew, but nevertheless, you know, you get an insight into how complex these things are and like how many, how many logistical challenges there are. We just had one location, a two day shoot, um, you know, a tiny cast of about um, four or five people. And nevertheless, even though everything was shrunk right down, um, there was a lot of logistical um, jumping through hoops to make everything happen. And of course, everybody was worried about COVID still. You know, everyone was doing COVID tests right up to the day of the shoot. And if one key person had got COVID, like the day before the shoot, I don't know what we would have done, you know. Um, so it gave me an insight into the complexity of it. Um, but as a producer, it, it really, the main thing, the main thing that I would take into the next film, and we will make some more films, is that the producer really has to crack the whip, <laughs> you know, creative people are wonderful. You know, I love them. You know, I, I like to consider myself relatively creative. Um, but, you know, a film is a product and a production is, 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 is really similar to producing a game, to producing a product. Of, of, of another type and you have to, you need a schedule, you need a budget, you need people to be accountable. You need, um, unfortunately boring things like project management, you know, financial management, it's somebody keeping tabs on, on spending. And we managed to do it. I just learned, we managed to do everything reasonably well because we had four of ones involved, you know, this other production company and they were incredibly helpful. They, they have experience making films. So we learned a lot from them. But taking into the next project, as I've worked in manufacturing before, you know, my background is electronics. And um, <clears throat> I've learned that a lot of the things that are done in other industries, they, that, which you might not consider to be creative industries, although of course they, they all are, you need to apply them really, I think, to, to something creative like a film. Otherwise, it can just drift. You just get project drift, you know, it just drifts. And um, so, yeah, that was one of the key things. And also the importance of um, in the planning stage, the pre-production stage makes all the difference. If you do the pre-production well, 
then the production and the post-production probably nine times out of 10, they probably flow fairly smoothly. There's always going to be hiccups, things that you didn't plan for. But I think that if you plan the budget and the schedule and responsibilities, by the way, very, very carefully, um, then the rest of it becomes, I think, a lot easier, like everything, you know, planning is essential. And um, talking about responsibilities just reminds me that when you have a small project like this, which four of ones referred to as like guerrilla filmmaking, um, I think that it can be very easy, very easily, as opposed to a big budget project, I think you can, you can fall into this thing, which could be a trap or it could be a good thing where the lines are very blurred between different people's responsibilities. And that can be a good thing or it can actually, um, you know, make things more complicated. And, um, you know, as a producer, you've got, it's your responsibility to make sure that that works basically. But yeah, I was really happy. I mean, one of the things that I've taken out of it, which I think could be helpful for the YouTube community is an understanding is more of an understanding of the process of getting the music from the perspective of the director and producer rather than from the perspective of the composer because up to that time i'd always seen things from the perspective of the composer of course and now i was it was an opportunity to see things from the other side and that's been really useful and i think that i'm you know we are planning to do some content to try and convey some of that to the community because I think it's really important for anybody that's new as a composer to really try and have an understanding of how things look from the director and producer's perspective. And I think that if you don't have that as a composer, you're going to find uh, working in the industry very frustrating. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, a question for you, and feel free to not answer this if you don't want to influence people too much, but we're just kind of curious. So when you were kind of involved in making the film, did you have any like personal ideas or maybe thoughts on what you envisioned the score to be? Because you kind of wear both hats in that sense, and it might be kind of hard to not think about that. I'm just, we're just kind of curious about that. Um, no, not really. I, I, I deliberately kept kept and successfully I think kept an open mind um and I wasn't I wasn't directly involved in the same way that with score relief I'm not involved in the judging I'm just uh, involved in corralling the judges and it, it was similar with this I I left the decision making I tried to make it like a real film you know so I left the decision making to really to the directors and um tried not to have any influence. Of course, sometimes we would, they would ask for an opinion. Um, and, and, and I listened to submissions, of course, <laughs> you know, I couldn't resist listening to the submissions, but no, I mean, other than, other than identifying moments where the music needed to be quite lighthearted and, and, and moments where it needed to be very, very emotional, you know, very, heart you know tugging on the heartstrings and stuff like that i didn't really have a, a fixed idea of of how it should be i mean i think that's one of the things really i suppose that i've learned from doing things like score relief is that 
let the let the composers surprise you is is quite nice you know like you're paying them for that if you like you know that's their job in many ways so yeah I yeah absolutely i mean that that's the mentality i think a lot of us hope filmmakers kind of take is be open to you know kind of collaboration but still have a bit of a vision as well yeah i mean i think i think that one of the things i would possibly do differently is that <clears throat> And by the way, um, this also um, crosses over into score relief. So, the when we did the shout out, you know, the the call, the call out for people to submit uh, for the opportunity to be the official composer on the film, we didn't give a very very specific brief. And similarly, I think for the guy who actually did the score for the film. And I think next time, as a producer, I would definitely want the directors to direct the music to a greater extent. I mean, I wouldn't, I would still want the composers to have a lot of creative freedom, but I think that composers are a bit like actors, that they benefit from having some kind of understanding of what the director is expecting. And, um, one of the things I learned actually from, um, I think it might have been from Tara, you know, the actress who was in the film. It might have been from her where she said that, because we were a bit intimidated, you know, because the two directors are very young and I'm completely new to filmmaking. And we're, and we're having a meeting with Tara Fitzgerald, you know, who's like a very successful actress. She's been working in the industry for decades. She was in Game of Thrones, for God's sake. And we're having a meeting with her about her performance, you know, in our film. And we were all a little bit intimidated. And, and one of the things that she brought to the table was that actually the actors want to be directed. They don't want to be saying, yeah, do what you feel, you know, express yourself. They, they, don't, they don't necessarily want that. I mean, there might be actors who like that, but she was saying that, that most actors, they want to know what's expected of them, really. And I think that to some extent that's true with the composers as well. I'm interested to know what you think. Um, so the reason I say it crosses over into score relief is because, and this is not secret, that we're going to run another score relief at the end of this year. And one of the things that we're going to do a bit differently, I can't remember whether I've announced this yet, probably not. So this is an exclusive for you guys, is that yeah. uh, we're going to... Surprise! It's me. Hang in there for just a second to hear about QTube's interesting new update to 2024's score relief competition. In the meantime, here's a quick shout out to composer Mike Ladisser, whose online film music academy we are proud to be affiliated with here at Composers in a Jukebox. Sign up to learn about the art and technique of film scoring in the most comprehensive manner with the code CIJB40 for a 40% discount. Now, back to the episode. We're going we're gonna to have a spotting sheet for the competition this year, and it's the first time that we've done that. That's really useful, actually, because I think it's a good reflection of what people might experience out there in, in, in the professional world. That's it. I think that one of the jobs of the community, of one of the jobs of the platform is to help people to prepare for working in the industry. And that's not just a case of, 
giving them clips, you know, to play with. It's actually like you've just said, it's helping them to understand, you know, what would be expected of them when they work on a project. And, and of course, also it gives them some criteria to work to when they're preparing their submission, but it also gives the judges something to work with as well. Uh, um, all right then, uh, let's, let's stay for, uh, let's stay with score relief for a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, you already talked about the judging. What are you, when you're, um, sourcing the judges, what are you looking for? Um, or like, where, where, where do you get them from? Maybe more general. Where do we get them from? <laughs> well, I usually, I usually reach out to a lot of people um, and a percentage of those people will agree to do it. You know, some of them are too busy and I totally understand that. We don't, we don't pay the judges, so we're relying on their goodwill. And uh, sometimes people are in the middle of film, of doing a film score, you know, for example, and they simply can't do it. Uh, I was going to say some, oh yeah. So uh, another change actually for this score relief, which I think is another very positive thing, is that previously all of the judges really have been composers. And I think that another useful thing that we're doing this time, again, going back to what you were saying about helping people prepare for working in the industry, is that we're going to have judges who are actually filmmakers as well as composers. And I think that'll be pretty cool. Definitely. Uh, the, for the feedback between the two can differ greatly because it's yeah. Yeah, very different. Very different, yeah. Just talking about um, adjudicating um, a large scale competition such as Score Relief, like, you know, I, I remember when Spring came out, um, although I personally didn't do it um, just because I had some work on the table at the time, most of the people around me were furiously trying to score um, that film. And it was, you know, I, I presume at your end, it, the, the response was overwhelming. It was, it was a huge um, response. And so with a large competition like this, um, could you just talk us through what I'm interested to hear what the process of judging uh, the works are like, you know, how, you know, are there different stages of shortlisting and how do you guys go about doing it? Yeah, it's a great question. And actually, you know, what I've learned from doing a few of these competitions now is that there is no perfect way of doing it. Whatever system, you, so so the perfect way, which is impossible, would be that every single judge listens to every single entry, and there's no way that you can do that, right? So you're already compromising immediately because it's going to be slightly subjective. So, for example, um, <clears throat> what we usually do is have essentially two rounds. We have the shortlisting round, and we have the final selection round. But the final selection round usually goes through a few iterations. Um, so talking about the shortlisting first, these are usually people who are like behind the scenes. They're not public profile, but they're people that are well qualified. You know, they're either educators or they are working composers um, in their own right. Um, so we're, we're, we're quite careful about that. And what we would usually do is split up the entries equally between those people. So let's say, let's say we had 2000 entries and let's say we had, you know, 10, 10 people doing the shortlisting, then we'd give them, um, 200 each, which is a lot. Um, and I just hassle them, hassle them until they get through it. And what we would ask them to do 
is um, first of all, just go through every entry and decide which ones definitely are like rejected. I hate to say that. I hate to use these words, you know, but definitely not potential winners. And then usually put them into two categories of maybe or like definitely, yes, this one could be a potential winner. And we try to whittle away at that and we try to give them ultimately a deadline to, to come up with, say, you know, 10 from their list, which is really, really challenging. Yeah, that's, that's brutal. <laughs> it's, brut it's brutal, yeah, but there's, no, there's no, nothing else you can do. So anyway, that's what we do. And we end up with a, approximately 100 from that. So that's a massive shortlisting, brutal, as you say. And then we pass those hundred onto our final panel of like high profile judges, whatever you want to call them, the public, the public face, you know, of the competition. And we, what we usually do, I think from memory, it's been two years since we ran the last one, is that we uh, split them up equally. So if there are five judges, they'd have 20 each. Um, and we ask them to choose like their top five, I think, something like that. So again, it's got the same flaw, you know, that I identified previously. So they choose five each. And then I think what they do then is that they all listen to each other's top five and they give them points out of 10 or something according to different criteria. And we just choose the ones that have got the most points. And it kind of works. And I think that the winners have been genuinely worthy of being winners, you know, each time. So yeah, it's tough. It's really extremely tough. Yeah, I absolutely see that. But at the same time, it's so interesting to know kind of what goes on behind the scenes, especially in, you know, in a in a large scale competition like this. But I mean, to be fair, you know, it's it seems brutal on the surface that we're kind of, you know, axing um, so many people out uh, at one go. But I mean, you know, the truth and matter is, you know, with, with, with cinema and with film, you know, realistically, a screening just happens once. A scene just, you know, plays and goes. And that's all the time that you have with it as an audience in the cinema. And so there is that sense of immediacy, um, which has to, you know, and it comes with the score. It comes with every other aspect of, of, of filmmaking as well, cinematography, the performance. In order for a film to be effective, there has to be a certain sense of of immediacy in in each moment. And I think, you know, having having said that, and with that in mind, the system of which you know you you and the QG have come up with is you know is not as flawed as you guys may may think. Because at the end of the day, even if you, even as you're going through like hundreds and thousands of <laughs> of submissions, you know the ones that stick out are the ones that are the more, you know, that, that have that sense of immediacy, that immediate effectiveness. I think there's always a massive danger, and, and it's quite real danger, that some outstanding work is going to fall through the cracks. And, and for example, you know, you could have somebody who's, a, who's got huge talent, like as a, as a, a, a fantastic ear for, for music, but they they're perhaps not very good with the door or they're not very good at mixing and production. And so it sounds, it might sound bad, you know, and it's supposed to be a scoring competition. It's not a production competition, you know, it's not a mixing competition. 
So we're quite careful about that, but there's still a real danger, you know, that somebody could be rejected in spite of their talent in a way, if you like. Um, so we try to brief all the judges, you know, to, to about these perils of judging. The other thing we're going to do this year, which I think is also an improvement in terms of avoiding this type of problem, is um, <clears throat> we're going to make the competition much more unapologetically um, orchestral scoring, because previously we've just made it scoring. And so we get synthesizer submissions, and that's great. It's fantastic. But when the prize is actually having your music performed by the orchestra, it makes the judging, again, quite difficult, because you might have an amazing synthesizer score, for example, but there's no way that the orchestra could, could, could perform it. So you can't, in a sense, you can't really make them the winner in some sense. And that's unfair. So this year we're like, this is the configuration of the orchestra. You know, the winner will be performed by this orchestra. Bear this in mind when you're actually submitting your score. So, I mean, if the orchestra is, you know, 32 piece orchestra, um, it doesn't mean that the um, submissions have to be 32 piece. They could be, it could be a string quartet or it could be, um, you know, 56 piece orchestra. And we will adapt accordingly if they are chosen as the winner. But it means that it would be unwise to submit, you know, a hip hop track as your submission for the competition. It would be unwise, I feel. Unless you just want to have fun and, and you're perfectly welcome to just uh, submit something for fun. You know, just like I did with uh, Westworld. I wasn't expecting to win, but I really wanted to have a go for the experience. You know? Actually, speaking of, um, you know, recording with the orchestra, could you kind of tell us why do you be, uh, like maybe why is it important that composers should work with live musicians such as well, the NFL? I think that I think that one of the fascinating things about score relief, like when it's done and dusted, is that it gives you the opportunity to compare the mock-up with the real orchestra performance of the same exact same piece of music. And I think that when you do that, then the answer to your question becomes pretty obvious <laughs> because um, it's absolutely spine-tingling, you know, to hear the music performed by the orchestra. It really is, like, for me, and I'm not the composer, I'm not even a composer, but even for me, like, hearing that live rendition of something that was created in a door, it just, the emotions are almost uncontrollable, you know, like the, the hairs on the back of my hand and, you know, just the the excitement and the sense of energy actually i think that comes from a live performance even if you're not in the same room you know i mean it's obviously mind-blowing when you're actually in the same room when the musicians are performing it but even listening to it you know digitally um afterwards is is powerful i think so we, we believe in that yeah you know i i am a musician albeit um a completely amateur one and um and so I do recognize the value of, of real musicians and, and, and yeah, I'm quite keen to, to support that. And I think it's pretty cool that Spitfire, I think one of the things that they do is they give, um, they make a big thing of the fact that they give royalties, I think, yeah, to the musicians. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's quite, um, 
I think there is a bit of a responsibility in a way for, for people like Spitfire and even for the Q-Tube to promote the value of real musicians, I think. I think there's a little bit of responsibility there, yeah. Yeah, definitely, any day. Well, Brian, I think um, I've really enjoyed the chat, but we're just about to hit um, the one hour mark. So that was actually the last question um, on our sheet. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. That yeah. was extraordinary. That was extraordinary. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's lovely to chat with, um, you know, with someone who is kind of, you know, who's as generous um, as you towards the community that we're all in. And, um, you know, just to hear um, kind of, you know, your strategies on things, because I think if anything, you're, you know, from from at least from our conversation today, you know, you're, you're such a good strategist and you really think about, you know, processes and, and workflow and stuff like that. And it, yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's really, really nice to hear um, thoughts and ideas like that that's kind of related to film scoring, um, although, you know, it comes more on the non-musical side of things. Likewise, yeah, I'm very excited. Thank you guys so much. It's been uh, very enjoyable. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Waters. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. So Thank you, guys. Take care. Subscribe to our pages on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts to be notified of future episodes. And follow the QTube on YouTube. It's simply at the QTube uh, for updates about new clips and about our forthcoming score relief. <laughs>